Hello, Lot here. Just wanting you all to know that this episode has been previously recorded and posted. So I hope you enjoy it or re-enjoy it. Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. everyone, I'm Guile, and I tweet at Door Podcast, and tonight I'm joined by Eon. Hey, this is Eon. I'm Eon Blue Negative on Tumblr. And Kama. Hi, this is Kama, and I'm uh, at Oxford Splice on Twitter. And Chicky. Hey, I am Chicky. I'm at the Chikrin on Twitter. And tonight we are going to discuss A Storm of Swords, Jamie 6, as part of our Jamie Brand chapter re-rereads. And standard trigger warning... Um, for rape this chapter probably pretty heavily and also spoilers for the books and the show um, big time so this is a this is um, one of Jamie's obviously one of Jamie's most iconic chapters and really one of the more famous features one of the more famous moments I think in the books as a whole like when we think of you know, when you think of like the popular perception of these books as being, you know, oh, the Red Wedding, oh, the purple, you know, like all this horrible shit happens, and like this is one of those pure like fuck yeah moments, and we just get so few of them. This is like out of a fairy tale. I mean, yeah, it's you know, it's totally, a, yeah, totally a fairy tale. Um, except that you know, in this case, the fairy tale starts with our hero, who you know has been has this lingering <laughs> fever in Heron Hall and in his infected stump and. Um, you know, it really sounds like actually that they were in Harrenhal for a fairly significant amount of time. Like, a, you know, it seems like several weeks, I would guess. Um, yeah. Between the dinner with Roos and um, and when they actually finally leave. Yeah. Well, I mean, the shortest timeline I think is five to six weeks from the time that they leave River Run until they get back to King's Landing. Oh, and that's the shortest timeline. That seems so, unlikely, just because I mean that—that's just like travel time. It doesn't count like the, you know. No, it, what I'm talking about is no. It, it, it's I'm just saying, yeah, that's the amount of the, yeah. so that tells you how long they could have been at Heron Hall because yeah. that's the amount of time that it takes for their whole journey. That's the minimum amount of time. Yeah. It could be up to three months from the time that they leave River Run until they get to King's Landing. So it's a long. It's been a long journey, and there have been long stops along the way. So. You know, in this journey, Jamie Jamie thinks that he's anxious to be gone from Heron Hall, the Bloody Mumbers, and Brienne of Tarth. Um, he wants to leave them all behind. A real woman waited for him in the Red Keep. Yeah. You just keep telling yourself that. Well, Jamie. it is interesting. Like, there's this moment, and then until he talks to Kyburn, like he doesn't really think of Brienne at all. Like he he is. I mean, it, it is kind of like jarring given what we just saw between them, that he is kind of willing to leave her. But I think he does think that she's going to be ransomed. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's misdirection too. And the thing is the fact that the chapter starts off with him saying that a real yeah. woman is waiting for him in the red keep. It's very much about him saying, Oh yeah, no, Brian doesn't matter to me. You know, she's no big deal, which so, of course is obviously a huge lie. 
So one of my favorite minor characters that shows up in interesting spots is Steel Shanks Walton, who's leading Jamie's escort back to King's Landing, just because he he does actually show up and dance at Winterfell. <laughs> like, oh, wow. And, you know, Jamie describes him as, like, basically, like, not a bad guy, but, you know, in war, he's going to rape and plunder and pillage. But, you know, after that, he's just going to be, like, a, you know, a dude. Not a bad guy. You know, I he's mean, like- that's... It's just like, He's like, what's wrong with America today? There are a bunch of people exactly. who are not bad individually, who are, who, you know, might, but they when would their blood totally... is up, they're going to, you know, yeah. They're gonna... And they'll do what they're told. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that is, you know, Steel Shanks. He's, you know, just, you know, at, you know as Jamie says, he's at heart a simple soldier. Um, you know, they could kill, rape when their blood was up, and then they'll go home and raise families and farm. Basically a monster you can activate when you need him. Yep. Yeah. Or, I mean, just, you know, another testimony perhaps on, you know, what happens to people in, in a war. Like, what happens what, even to, like, the the average... Because it feels like he's sort of being described as, like, the average person in a way, you know? And, like, even the average person can turn into a monster in the, in the circumstances of war. So... Um, Roos is actually leaving Heron Hall as well, and you know they they ride together. They ride together as Roos heads to River Run, and then Jamie and his company head to head to King's Landing, and we get this rather iconic. Um, you know, you'll give Jamie says or Roos says you you will give my warm regards to your father, and Jamie replies, so long as you give mine to Rob Stark. So. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, how do we, I mean, we know that Kat heard this and, you know, what, it, we have a question from we from Weebury on our, our Reddit. Um, you know, what implications do you see for this line in Jamie's future? You know, what other things has he said that you think will return to bite him again? Oh, I'm sure there are other things. Um probably some of what he did with the phrase at river run and feast will probably come back to bite him. But um, yeah, I mean this, this completely offhanded remark because Jamie clearly does not fucking know what the plan is for the red wedding. I say for the 55th time, he clearly doesn't because we see when he learns what happened at the red wedding, that he's surprised at how terrible it is. Um, I mean, it'll come back to haunt him, but it's actually going to come back to haunt Brienne even worse. Yeah, I mean, how do you how do you figure it's going to haunt Brienne worse? Because I mean, that's what she's dealing with when she runs into Stoneheart. She's dealing with a Stoneheart who wants Jamie fucking dead because of this. But don't you? I mean, to me, is it? It's more of the sword and the letter, you know, the letters from Tom and that doom her more than this particular. But I think the virulent hate for Jamie is because Kat thinks not only did she release Jamie, oh, I shouldn't say Kat, Lady Stoneheart yeah. thinks not only did she release Jamie, but she actually caused the death of Rob, which is not actually necessarily true. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, I guess that's true. So Jamie, you know, Jamie, again, he's getting his sass back. And as they leave, he's, you know, Zolo, how kind of you to see me off. Pig, Timian, will you miss me? No less just to share, Shagwell, to lighten my way down the road. And Rorg, did you come to kiss me goodbye? 
Um, you know, and he basically threatens him with the Lann- you know, Lannister always pays his debts. And, you know, this is another one of those chapters where Jamie kind of spends a lot of it in in memory. And we, you know, as they're leaving um, Harrenhal, he actually, interesting, you know, to go back to a mention from Duncan Egg, he's actually carrying a shield from the the Lothstons who had Harrenhal before the Wents. And I think, you know, one of the characters that we would have loved to have seen more of in Duncan Egg was Mad Danel Lothson, um, who rides in from Harrenhal. That sounds like a fascinating woman. Um, what what shield did Brienne have whenever she leaves? Does she does she have that shield whenever this she one. leaves? This one, uh huh. Yeah, this is what she ends up with. Yeah, yeah. This is what she has repainted. Okay. And it was, you know, there's a sign. He could be no one's cousin, no one's enemy, and no one's so, no one's sworn sword, and some no one. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's like language. I mean, kind just of like go ahead and underline that he's having identity issues, George. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie doesn't know who he is right now. Just like <laughs> bright yellow highlighter. So they've got two hundred. You know, they've got two hundred men and. You know, Jamie is making a point that he he really wants to get back to to King's Landing as quickly as possible, and you know he thinks if they go really fast, he might even make it in time for Joffrey's wedding. So also <laughs> underline this is important. Um, and they pass a mill, and Jamie remembers when he was at the tourney at Harrenhal, the miller's daughter had smiled at him, and you know the miller had shouted, "The tourney's back the other way." And, you know, this is after he joined the King's Guard and then immediately Ares orders him back to King's Landing to watch um, Rayla. And, you know, I think it was um, the White Bull offers to take his place and, and Ares is like, nope, he, he's going to win no glory. He's he's mine now. And, you know, it's like, it's sort of like, oddly enough, you know how we waited eight years for a love scene between Jamie and Brienne and it was immediately ruined within 20 minutes? That's kind of like what Jamie's Kingsguard investment was. That it was like <laughs> that saint, like he was so, you know, this was such a huge honor and he was so proud. And, you know, within like before, before nightfall, it's ruined. And he realizes that it had nothing to do with his valor and had nothing to do with anything about himself other than that he was Tywin's son. And, you know, it's completely, t- it's tainted before he ever has a chance to enjoy it. So, I mean, we feel your pain, I guess. Like, yeah. That is basically what you're saying. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, you know, he's thinking that even now he's, like, super bitter and how he should have just thrown his, his cloak off, but, you know, it was too late. Um, so then we get to the gross, disgusting part of the chapel. Well, one of the gross, disgusting parts of the chapter, where Kyburn wants to like have like uh, guy talk with Jamie, and you know, kind of is like, "Oh, did you enjoy your visitor? I thought you might like some exercise." And just the words he says. Um, oh yeah, it's you know. Icky. Oh, I'm. I trust you enjoyed her, and you know, Pia is quite skilled. Would you not agree? And so willing, which basically means that Kyburn fucked Pia, which ugh. Oh, I know. Such a pig. Like just so. I mean, in a weird way, I feel sorry for Pia because it's clearly like Jamie's the only guy on earth she wants to sleep with, and he won't sleep with her. I mean, it's a little sad in in like a weird way, in which it's not. I'm saying that I'm not saying that I want Jamie to sleep with Pia, but I mean, like she finally gets the guy she she dreams of, 
or and like, like someone Meh. she would have chosen instead of you know someone that she had to for you know survival basically. And well, yeah, I mean she she literally uses him as like her fantasy yeah. when she's with other gross guys. Yeah, <laughs> terrible. Ugh. So that's gross, and um, you know they they talk about how um, you know. Pia talks about, yeah, how she had seen him at the tourney when she was just a little slip of a girl and how she always, you know, dreamed that she would have him. And Jamie thinks about, you know, it was really hard to send her away after that. But, you know, he has Cersei. And, you know, he, so, I mean, you know, the thing about Jamie is he's pretty hardcore monogamous. Like, that's, you know. Oh, very hardcore. Yeah. Um, Book Jamie. Book Jamie, I feel like we have to. Yeah, yeah. Underline that. And Show Jamie we're not really sure anymore. And Kyburn, um, Kyburn explains that Varga Hote, um, had basically caught a, caught an STD, and now he needs Kyburn to, like, examine all of his ladies before he sleeps with them, or rapes them, if you will. Probably rapes them. And, uh, you know, so he knows that, you know, P, he reassures Jamie that P is healthy, and he says, you know, as is your maid of Tarth, and, Oh, um, God. You know, Jamie gave him a sharp look, Brienne. And, you know, it's just like this. I have, I mean, I, I hesitate to read it, but it's just so gross that I want to. Does that make any sense? Yeah, like, just read it. We trigger know, warned, right? Yeah. Yes, a strong girl, that one. And her maidenhead is still intact. As of last night, at least, Kyburn gave a chuckle. Um, just like the, <laughs> yeah, you know, she's just going to be gang raped by the fucking worst people in the world or, you know, the most, I mean, can you imagine ha- what, no. having said, like Vargo Holt, like the slot, I mean, like, oh, like the slobbering monster, like just, oh, so, um, you know, Jamie's like, oh, is this about the ransom? Her father wanted proof that she's still a maiden and, you know, Kyburn's like, oh, no, nope, we, you know, Lord Selwyn offered 300 dragons. I and- love how Jamie's brain basically rejects the more obvious explanation at right. first. Right. He's like, oh, oh, is is there some benign reason for this? Yeah. And, you know, he thinks, oh, 300's, a, you know, a good, a good um, ransom for a night. And, you know, no. I mean, the- is, is 300 gold dragons a fair amount for a ransom because that just seems low to me well and i think for the for a knight and an heir that feels low to me too you know like if it was just a knight but you know or like a second son or something but like your heir that seems a bit you know a bit light well it might be one of those things where it's like normally you'd negotiate something like this but for some reason vargo doesn't want to negotiate so that might just be Selwyn's opening bid. He might not understand exactly what he's dealing with with Vargo Hote. He yeah. might think he's dealing with somebody more honorable. Although, I mean, I think if they have your, you know, your only child, you're gonna, you're probably not gonna quibble over, you know, a hundred dragons. You're just gonna. I mean, maybe over, you'd hope. Or it's like what you, I, you know, I don't. It's not like we have a consumer. Do we have a consumer price index for? Um, no. To find out. Not like, in Westeros. Know, like what things are kind of worth, but you know, maybe you're not particularly, I mean, these are, he's not a Lannister with bottomless coffers on money. Right. 
but you know. Well, and the, if if this is an analog to like Western European medieval or Middle Age or Dark Age, you know, ransoms. I mean, sometimes people would be held for ransom for years while these things were negotiated, but you'd be treated as like an honored guest, yeah. basically, if you were highborn. And I'm sure that that's probably what Selwyn thinks is happening. He may not understand that the oh, bloody bombers are not normal. Um, normal. Well, it's like the um. They're in the books, the red wine twins, what do they call them? Hobber oh, yeah. and slobber or whatever. Yeah. I mean, they've been there for years. I mean, literally years. Yeah, well, in, in Europe, that wouldn't have been unusual. I mean, I, I kind of hate to draw those historical parallels, but I mean, that must be, I think that they, there must be some analog there. So, you know, Jamie thinks the news irritated him, though he supposed he should have seen it coming. You know, the, the lie I spared you a while, Blanche, be grateful for that. Um, he he makes a little joke about if her maiden head's as hard to get in as the rest of her, the goal will break off his cock. Oh, and God. he thinks, you know, she's tough enough to survive a few rapes. Um, <sighs> but if she, you know, he's worried kind of if she's resists too much, you know, Varga Hope might stop, might start chopping her off her hands and feet and... You know, he thinks, you know, why should I care? I'd still have my hand if you had just given me, you know, Cleos' sword. So he's, you know, and then he's like, well, you know, maybe Holt won't know how strong she is and she'll be able to break his neck and that'd be awesome. You know, he's really um, very much trying, trying to make it not as bad as it is, you know. Well, and then in typical Jamie fashion, he rides away from, from, uh, from Kyburn because he's annoying him, which yeah. is always the case. Somebody's always annoying him when they're not being good to Brienne. Well, and just, you know, I think, you know, it is kind of trouble when you reread this, it is like, you know, he's, he's going to leave. Like he's, you know, he's leaving her and he, you know, this, he's like leaving her to, for this fate. And it's, you know, it's not like he's in a position of power, but we see how easily he, you know, how frankly easily he is able to change things. So, um, yeah, it is. It is kind of almost disturbing to read it. You know, as much as we can be the Jamie Lannister defense squad, um, you know, this is one of those ones. That oh like, no, he's oh, leaving Jamie. her. Like you're, you know, you're he's... leaving her to get raped and probably shortly thereafter killed. And you know, that's. I mean, I think it's like you said when he first leaves Hall, I don't think he's thinking about her because he thinks things are going to work out for yeah. her. Um. But yeah, it's uh... kind of sounds like they didn't have much interaction after this dinner either because he didn't know about, um, you know, like he they, he didn't know about Selwyn's offer. He didn't really know about her being examined by Kyburn. You know, like there's a lot of things that it have been going on. It sounds like I know there's some question about this, but it sounds to me like the way that Kyburn describes it. He had done this, you know, like forced exam on Brienne the night before they left. Yes. So, I mean, but yeah, you know, I don't think Jamie has seen her again. I you don't get that. Yeah, you don't I get mean, the impression that he saw her again. at this point she's she's been raped. I mean, I don't know how you can say what Kyburn did is anything but that. Like, oh yeah, that's not consensual. Right. So, so yeah, yeah there has been an assault for yeah. sure. Ugh. So anyway, so they they keep they keep going south, and you know he wonders. You know he's kind of in this. He's in a bit of a self-pitying mood. You know, he's thinking, oh, you know, what is a swordsman without a sword? You know, would he, would Tywin think he was worth 300 dragons even anymore? Like, he's really, like, feeling pretty sorry for himself, which is funny. Like, because, 
you know, he's he sort of lost some of the progress that you feel like he kind of maybe made in the prior chapter a little bit. Um, you know, like he, I mean, frankly, he some, you know, he kind of matches wits a little bit with with Roos in that last chapter. And you know, Roos is a smart guy, and now he's back to like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm a sword, a swordsman without a sword, and it's like, no, you know, you're you're, you're not. You you have other. Um, you have other attributes. So, well, it's again, anytime he's kind of left alone with his yeah. thoughts, they get dark. Whereas when you have him interacting with people, he seems to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just anytime definitely... he's kind of left to stew on, you know, his current state of being, he gets dark again. So he thinks about how, um, his grandfather Titus in prison, this banner is unruly band of the Tarbecks. And, you know, Lady Tarbeck captured um, Stafford Lannister, who is, you know, Joanna's brother, and, you know, says, send, you know, send my husband back or, you know, Stafford and then um, send my lord back or, you know, these Lannister hostages will answer, will answer. And, you know, Tywin suggested that they send Lord Tarbeck back in three pieces. (laughs) And Titus was like, yeah, nope, we're going to negotiate and, and, and send him back. And, you know, Jamie's just kind of thinking, like, how ruthless, basically, Tywin is. And, you know, well, I mean, I kind of feel like he's almost thinking, like, is my dad going to love me? You know, like, that's where the root of it is, which is really. Well, it's about his value now. He understands right. that his value has been greatly reduced. He's He's thinking about the fact that. When he first left River Run, he was worth far more than just Sansa and Arya in an exchange. You know, yeah, Catelyn yeah. was making a bad, a bad deal. I mean, like, they should have gotten a lot more than just Sansa and Arya in exchange for Jamie. But he's thinking about the fact that he isn't even worth one of the girls now. That he's one-handed. Which is, of course, ridiculous, because, of course, he's worth quite a bit still. But this is just, you know, his, his, his feelings of inadequacy since he lost his hand. And yeah. he is thinking about the fact, because this is true, and this is the difference between... Um, how Tywin deals with the fact that Jamie was was kidnapped and being held in the way that that Tyrion deals with it, which is Tyrion comes up with this harebrained scheme to try to break him out of River Run, whereas Tywin just like was content to just let him sit there until they could negotiate some bigger thing, you know. Um, I, I think I think he knows he he knows deep down that you know Tywin might kind of love his kids, but he. He he values a lot of other things more. Yeah, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you also get a, a sense of just how devastated the Riverlands are here too. You know, they talk about there'd been a small inn, and now I mean, and there's a found there's a couple of foundation stones. That's it, and you know, it was an inn that Jamie had stopped on his way back to King's Landing. When he after he after the tourney or during the tourney, I guess of, of Heron Hall, and you know the man was like, "Oh, I'm, I can't charge you a member of the King's Guards, you know, under my roof. That's so you know incredible." And you know he's like thinking, "Well, that guy's dead, and his grandchildren that he was going to tell about this are dead. Like you know, it's just um, sometimes I think you because we're so focused on the characters, we kind of lose a sense of like just how like horrific the conditions in the Riverlands really are." Yeah. yeah, and it's extremely dangerous right now. I mean, they're talking about how, I mean, look who all is in the Riverlands right now. You have the wolves, 
the pack of wild wolves is there. You have the you know the Don Darian's um, guys, the outlaws. Brotherhood without banners. Yeah, right. I mean, you have like all these soldiers that the, these these men that have lost their lords, so they're just they're they're running crazy right now. You've got like the Karstark men. You've got you know who are on the hunt for for Jamie. You know, you really yeah. You've got like a yeah. I mean. <sighs> Just imagine you're just someone trying to, like, you know. Well, you've got the men like Steel Shanks Walton from the previous chapter right. who, you know, fine under normal circumstances, but no problem raping and killing you if, you know, he demands it. So they make camp for the night, um, and Kyburn has a skin of dream wine that he gives Jamie. And Jamie falls asleep against a, a stump and he, you know, he thinks first before, you know, the wench would have told him that he had to eat before he slept to keep his strength up, but, you know, he was tired, so she's not there to force oh, feed him, basically. She was taking care of him. Yeah. and so I hate everybody. Yeah, so he's just kind of, you know, going to do do his thing. And he, you know, he, he closes his eyes and, and, you know, hopes he dreams about Cersei because the fever dreams are are so vivid, but Instead, he um, instead he finds himself in this dream, and you know the first thing he notices is that he has he has his, his right hand, and he thinks you know how great you know to flex his fingers. It was you know as good as sex, as good as swordplay. Um, you know this relief made him dizzy. Nothing could hurt him so long as he was whole, and it's that yeah that feeling of. You know, it's the op- like, kind of the opposite of that horrible dream when you wake up and like, oh, it was just a dream. This is like the opposite. Like, oh God, this is fucking reality. Um, yeah, and he's he's in his dream, surrounded by these tall figures in cowled robes, and feels like he's in. You know, he senses that he's in Casterly Rock, and they're prodding him to go down, further down, and he really, you know, he wants to go. He wants to go up, but he, you know, he has this overwhelming feeling of doom, kind of being at the bottom of this pit, more or less. And you know, these spears prod him into like essentially an abyss, but it ends up being just a, a short, a short fall into some shallow water. And um, you know, he he again he assumes this is Casterly Rock because there's these he knows there's these kind of watery caver- caverns beneath Casterly Rock, but. You know, this is strange to him, but again, he makes this assumption that it's the rock. And, you know, he asks, what what place is this? And these voices all echo, your place. You know, it was a hundred voices, a thousand, the voices of all the Lannisters since Land the Clever, which, you know, the Lannisters can all talk like a lot of shit. Like, can you imagine, like, thousands of freaking Lannisters? God. <laughs> That's a lot of sarcasm. Um but, you know, the ones he obviously recognizes the most are Tywin and Cersei. And, you know, Cersei... And Joffrey. And Joffrey, Joffrey. yeah. And, you know, she he asks why Father has brought us here. And Cersei says, this is your place, brother. This is your darkness. And she yeah. turns to go. And, you know, we get the line that all of the gross JC shippers love. Her torch was the only light in the world. <laughs> Which, mm-hmm. I've always wanted to know why there's only his father, Cersei, and Joffrey. And I'm one, I've always wondered, is that a clue that, I mean, that's just showing those are the ones that are dying? Yeah. 
That's what it is. Every everyone who's behind them when he talks about that these are all the Lannister since Len the Clever, but only three of them he recognizes, which are Tywin, Cersei, and Joffrey. You don't see Tyrion here. Well, it's weird you Um, don't see Joanna here, you know, because she's a Lannister, and you don't. Although he doesn't, he wouldn't recognize her if he did. We've established that in Feast, but no Tyrion, none of the other (laughs) Lannister kids. Right, right. There's no Tyrion. You know, like his uncle Stafford isn't there. Who just died. Um, yeah. So everyone who's already dead, he doesn't see. He sees the ones who are about to die. And that's, you know, Tywin and so, Joffrey will be dead by the end of the book. And Cersei. Clearly is Cersei's next. Yeah. Without him, they're not dying together. Then that would. No. Well, she's holding this clue. light that, you know, we kind of all agree. She has this torch. Cersei has a torch, which is the only light there. And, you know, we kind of all agree that this torch is Jamie's light. Like, this is his essence, his soul, is this light that she has. And she turns to leave with it, and um, which is, of course, symbolic yeah. in its way. And, you know, but the, the, one of the, the most salient thing here is Cersei tends to, or turns to leave, which she's going to follow the dead. Tywin and Joffrey go following the dead. Cersei goes with them. She's following them. So it's like Cersei's going to die before Jaime. This is, this is, this is where would dream prophecy 101 here. Yeah. Totally. Okay, good. And, you know, then he, Brienne he, is going to be replacing that light. Right. With you know, he, he asked for a sword and Tywin says, you know, I gave you a sword. And he has this, he pulls out this sword burning with a silvery blue light. and Which he, is more foreshadowing. Yeah. And he's moving, you know, he's moving in a like defensive circle, essentially. And he hears something, a great splash behind him and it's Brienne. And she, you know, she's she's in heavy chains, and um, you know, Jamie, you know, she asks Jamie to like loosen to uh, cut the chains, which he does. You know, the steel links parted like silk, which I always feel like is sort of a sexual line, um, or like a wedding kind of line. I don't know. Um, and she asks for a sword, and, and there, you know, magically a sword appears. And, you know, he, well, they he, both pull the swords out of this water at their feet, yeah. right? So, yeah, you have the foreshadowing of, of Jamie asking for a sword and Tywin saying, you know, I gave you a sword, which is foreshadowing that Tywin's going to give him Oathkeeper. And then you have Brienne asking Jamie for a sword after, you know, Tywin and Cersei and Joffrey are gone. And then she finds a sword at her feet and straps it around her waist, which is, you know, foreshadowing Jamie giving her Oathkeeper. Yeah. And, you know, um, we get we get the line that all the JB shippers say, which is, you know, in this light, she could almost be a beauty, he thought. In this light, she could almost be a knight. <laughs> so, and the light is that her her sword is flaming just like his is. So we have yeah. these two left alone. Jamie's light that was with Cersei that she carried away into death, right, is gone. But this light remains, this light that is on both of their swords. So basically, Jamie's life or soul is equally divided between him and Brienne right now. And he, he hears Cersei, you know, say, the flames will burn as long as you live. When they die, so must you. Um, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. And, you know, he begs her to stay with him, but she but she leaves. And Brienne, you know, Brienne's, like, looking for the threat. Like, what is it down here? A bear? A lion? Dire wolves? And, you know, Jamie, what lives here? And Jamie just says, Doom. Only doom. Um, 
Yeah, Although you missed one more shippy thing, which is that he also thinks he's looking at her reflection in the water and thinking how she has more of a woman, woman shape, shape now. So yeah. it's you've got the in this light, she can almost be a beauty, she can almost be a knight, and then you've also got the woman shape light. I mean, there's <laughs> right. It's she's, yeah. Well, why do we even for a second pretend that well, this is not happening? Too, I mean, like, so I mean, it's you know, yeah. it's, he he's naked too in this, right? Yeah. Except for oh yeah, they're boots. naked. Like except for their belts, which you know, sexy. <laughs> He's wearing boots too because whenever he hits the water, he mentions oh, yeah. water in his boots. Yeah. So he's pulling in his boots. Yeah. And you know their blades are this little island of light, but all around them stretch a sea of darkness, unending. Um, and you know Brienne thinks we could go back the way they brought us. If you climbed to my shoulders, you'd have no trouble reaching that tunnel, uh, that tunnel mouth, and. You know, Jamie thinks that, you know, he could follow Cersei and, you know, he could feel himself getting hard and he, you know, turns away so Brienne won't notice. And I mean, you know, following Cersei, I guess we would interpret here as, you know, if he leaves Brienne, it's death, you know. So this would be, I guess, one of those moments where like, oh, shit, what if that fucking show is right? You know, and he he leaves her to, you know, he leaves her to follow Cersei and it's death. But again, the I, alternate reality of the show. Yeah. I'm not buying it. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's, it's shame. He doesn't want her to see that because. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's both. I mean, this is one of the things, I mean, we, we will learn that Jamie's laying on a weirwood and that this is all, you know, probably a dream given to him by blood Raven. But, of course, Jamie's also an active dreamer, so there are elements of this that are Jamie, and there are elements of this that are being given to him as prophecy, and it's kind of yeah, difficult mean, like, at times to know what's what. There's, I mean, there's things like she puts a hand on his shoulder, and he trembles and thinks, you know, she's warm. Well, Bloodraven, I mean, if Bloodraven's given him that, that'd be, like, pretty creepy. <laughs> like, pretty freaking yeah, weird, Bloodraven. Blood that's Jamie. Like, that's yeah. Jamie. <laughs> um, so... They look into the gloom and they see these riders, um, these pale, these riders on pale horses. Um, they make no sound, no splashing, no clink of mail, nor clop of, clop of hoof. Um, they're, you know, it, Jamie thinks, you know, it reminds him of Ned Stark, and you know, he, he kind of makes it. You, you know, come ahead. I never, I never feared you living. I don't fear you dead, but. There's more, and you know he saw them too. They were all they were armored all in snow. It seemed to him, and ribbons of mist swirled back from their shoulders. Okay, uh, let's pause there. Yeah. So before we find out who they are, just the way that Jamie describes them as this armored all in snow and mist, yeah, to me sounds very much like the way that the others are described. Right. Right. Yes. Yes. Right. So I, I mean, think I, this is one of those scenes that's doing double duty. We're about to find out that these are, in fact, all of his dead Kingsguard brothers and Rhaegar. But um, I think there's also foreshadowing of the two of them with swords facing the others here. Right. I mean, they have, you know, magical Valyrian steel swords. Then we think they're going to, yeah. This is the, you know, we hear so much about Valonqar and this is, you know, com- or, you know, Cersei's, Cersei's prophecy. But this is like, almost overlooked all the time I feel like like the fact that no there's a weirwood prophetic dream that has Jamie and Brienne with flaming swords fighting the others in you know what might be like the Winterfell crypts or something you know like it's like who knows but you know in terms of them versus the others I I don't know how else you interpret it 
Um, but you know, in this, for the purposes of the dream, we find out that it's really the, his. Um, it's the dead brothers of the Kingsguard. So it's um, Oswell went, John Derry, Lewin, Lewin Martell, um, the White Bull, and, and Arthur Dane. And then with them is is Rhaegar Targaryen, and you know Jamie. Jamie's getting a, you know Jamie's trying a little bravado here. You know I'll fight you all or one by one or all together. But you know someone someone needs to fight with Brienne. She gets crossed when you leave her out, and you know she she's you know she's explaining that you know she swore a holy oath to keep Jamie safe, and you know Arthur Dane says we all swore oaths. And, you know, they say, you know, he said it so sadly, which, again, is really an echo of something Jamie would have no idea about, which is, you know, kind of his demeanor at the Tower of Joy, too. Um, mm-hmm. Like that resigned, that resigned, like, what what am I doing? <laughs> like, what have I done with my, what have I done with myself? Um, so... Jamie's basically trying to justify what happened with Ares, you know, saying he was going to burn the city um, and they're, you know, they're coming after him. You know, he was your king. You swore an oath and, and Rhaegar's like the worst. You know, he's, I left my, I left my wife and children in your hands and, and Jamie, you know, is kind of babbling. You know, I didn't think they would hurt them, which, you know, again, I think goes to show Jamie's like feelings of guilt about them, which I don't think that he should mm-hmm. necessarily feel, but he obviously does. He does. I mean, he did have a responsibility there. And, you know, I, I mean, his biggest failing is in not understanding how horrible Tywin is. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're coming after him still. Like, you know, you killed the king, cutting his throat, the king you had sworn to die for, and his sword starts to go out. And he remembers, you know, what Cersei said, that you'll only live as long as these swords go. Um and his his goes dark and and Brienne's burned though as the ghost came rushing in and he he wakes yeah. up screaming no. Um, well, so another thing that is clearly foreshadowing here is what Brienne will face with with Stoneheart, which is when you know she says she, she I swore an oath to keep him safe. Yeah. Um, I swore a holy oath. I mean, like this this thing of defending him in the darkness is also about what she's going to face. Yeah. It, there's a lot of foreshadowing in this, um, and it's so funny how rarely you see anyone talk about this in fandom. It's so full of stuff, but general fandom just ignores it. I have no I know. idea. It's yeah, because it, it's you know, oh, Jamie's gonna kill Cersei and then decide to die. You know, like. And it's just, that's clearly not what's happening. Right. I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, like, I don't know how else you can interpret it. I mean, she turns around and leaves with the already dead and the people who are just about to die. I mean, like, I, I don't know how else you look at it, but that she goes and he's still there with Brienne. Right. And then you get, I mean, like, this really clear, you know, to me, very clear and obvious scene of Brienne and Jamie being part of an endgame against the others. Obviously, and then just very simply the romantic yeah. implications. My God, I mean, twice he thinks about her looking, you know, beautiful, womanly. I mean, like, you know, this is clearly about things are ending with Cersei. Right. <laughs> Something's going to happen with Brienne. Right. right. I mean, it's, yeah, it, it's, you know, it's pairing, yeah, it's like pairing them together, essentially. I mean, 
yeah, completely. I mean, not even just essentially. It's like just literally they they are paired together. And it's funny because even people that never talk about the prophecy or kind of dismiss it, you know, when you think about the way our the way the Song of Ice and Fire fandom, like Jamie and Brienne, like we treat them as if they are a unit. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, they are a unit. Brienne is is Jamie's ride or die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she's I mean, like protect- literally. <laughs> you know, it, this is alluded to several times. Like he, 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 like jokingly refers to her as, as his protector, and he talks about how she protected him better than most. But I mean, this is this is what Jamie is, or what Brienne is for Jamie. The thing that he's never had. He's always been the one who has to be the warrior for everyone else in his life, and he's never had anyone who will put everything on the line to protect him. And that's what Brienne represents and, to I him, mean, like on a right. personal level. And I mean, that's what she represents to him. But then, I mean, imagine him faced with the reality of what she did do, you know, because he's going to find out that, you know, he's going to find out that she was going to hang for him. Yeah. And I mean, as much as, you know, we can debate whether there'll be any kind of betrayal seen by him. I mean, at the end of the day, she was being, you know, she was going to hang. She was willing to die yep. for him. And, I mean, I don't think there's anyone else in Westeros that's, that was, you know, maybe, there is maybe Joanna, you know. But honestly, I mean, not another soul. Right, right. I mean, and, I, you know, that's just going to, I mean, I, I can't even imagine his reaction to it. You know, it's just, especially for her, you know, for her that he's, that he's put so much effort in these last several chapters into like getting her, winning her over, and winning her over. Yeah. And then, I mean, this is like, yeah, you, you won her over. You got, you know, you, you did it. And just like, I mean, I think, I mean, I, I think like when he meets the, like he knows, I think at this point, Brienne knows him a lot better. Well, obviously, I mean, she knows him a lot better than he knows her. And we, the readers, know Brienne way better than Jamie knows her. And just when he when he gets to see the person that we've read about, he's just, I mean, I, I, I don't even, he's going to lose his mind. I mean, I just think he's going to be, like, just gobsmacked. Because he already is halfway there, and then, you know, he sees, like, everything oh, else about her. Oh, I think he's her. beyond halfway. I mean, like... Everything about like the lead up to him falling asleep is he he gets in this terrible mood after yeah. he hears the thing about Brienne. He was in a pretty good mood up to that point. He hears the thing about Brienne, and it's just you know all he can think about are the dark things and how you know joining the King's Guard was just you know the thing that kind of started to suck him down. And he's literally going back to Cersei the same way that you know he originally joined the King's Guard for Cersei. You know, um, and he's deliberately in his own mind, leaving Brienne behind in order to do that. And part of him, just the way that he always, you know, denies and doesn't pay attention to what his feelings are for Brienne has been nagging him the whole stupid night. He gets to the dream and he can't keep ignoring it. Um, Obviously blood Raven is also intervening for some reason, you know, Jamie has to save Brienne, but um, this, this kind of underlying pull to Brienne is there and it's, it's, it's kind of driving things. And even when he wakes up, he's like, Oh my God, he's like, is, was this real? Is this real? He finally realizes he's, you know, been sleeping on the weirwood stump. And it's like, he just knows he has to go back. And he, he, he actually makes them just like ride through the night to get back. 
because the feeling is so strong at this yeah. point. I mean, he kind of, I think, quits denying it at some point um, during the dream. Yeah, he is. I mean, it's it's like immediate and, you know, it's, it's funny because, I mean, he like wakes up screaming to the point that, you know, Steel Shanks and Kyburn are are there. Like, you know, he's obviously they're you know they're obviously kind of freaking out. Because I mean, imagine too, like if something actually happened to him, like how frightened <laughs> they'd be. Um. And. You know, Jamie asks Kyburn, you know, does he believe in ghosts? And he talks about, you know, how he had the sense of a woman in the room, and um. You know, he talks about how the Archmasters didn't like his thinking except for Marwyn, which I think is probably what maybe... Well, no, because we know Marwyn from Miri Mazdur, so, you know, it's a little Marwyn name name check in there. But, I mean, it's like right away, you know, as he's talking to Kyber and Jamie, he's like, we, we got to go back, saddle the horses now. And, you know, I, I left something at Heron Hall. Like, I, lost, I left my cell phone. You know, like, that's kind of the... I left my heart in Heron Hall. yeah. And, you know, he manipulate again, like, you know, for all of Jamie thinking he's just a swordsman, he, you know, pretty, pretty swiftly manipulates Steel Shanks into, you know, doing what he wants, like just basically threatening him, like, well, either we go back and I, you know, I sing the song I was going to sing or we don't. And when we get to, you know, when we get to King's Landing, I'm going to tell my dad that you cut my hand off. And, you know, Steel Shanks is kind of in a bind, like, yep, that they're going to, you know, they're going to go back. Um, and, you know, he promises them a little bit more gold and stuff, too, which, you know, Steel Shanks is, is all down for. So, um, you know, I mean, Jamie's pretty frantic in this ride back. You know, he... That's the best way to describe it. Yeah, like, you know, he's the one who's, you know, cupping his hands to open the gate when they get to Heron yes, Hall. he grew a hand. He grew another hand. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, he clapped his hands. That's really good. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, you happen to even the best of us, huh, George? <laughs> um, and, you know, he mentions how even, you know, he pushed his horse harder than he had the day before. So, you know, and he was thinking about getting back to Cersei and making it to the wedding. And, you know, you know, they're in a hurry. But, you know, this is obviously much more, you know, much, much more frantic. And, you know, he's, you know, it's all, it's, Jamie's basically like, you kind of can picture him like wheeling his horse around and trying to figure out where the sounds are coming from and like where everyone is. And, um, you know, he kind of, he tells him, you know, he basically is kind of pep talking steel shanks too. like, you know, you guys are outnumbering the mummers two to one. So, you know, like be ready. Like he's, I mean, I kind of feel like he thinks he's going to ride in and like swoop and swoop in and yeah. like carry Brienne off on his horse, you know, I think like, he does think that. And, you know, it, it turns out that, you know, nope, that that's not the case because they have her in the bear pit. And, you know, and they're all... it. doesn't doesn't he like have this bad feeling in the pit of his stomach when yeah. he realizes it, too? Oh, God. Yeah. And, um, you know, the the mummers are pretty drunk watching this, which helps them. And, you know, Brienne's in the same gown that she wore. But, you know, there's part of it that's, you know, it's part of it's in tatters and she's got blood dripping down her arm and you know at first you know Jamie's like oh thank god you know they gave her a sword and you know he's watching I love how this. he just immediately thinks she can handle it yeah I mean he's, he's like, like oh like, she can kill this bear 
Yeah, I mean, he's watching it like kind of like he's watching a sporting event. So he's, you know, like almost like rooting quietly from the sidelines at this point. Like, oh, you know, no, she's got to, you know, move around more. Um, but yeah, he has perfect confidence that um, that she's going to do it. What I, I love, though, is like his empathy for the bear. Like just even like the strategy of the bear, you know, he's wary, Jamie realized. He's gone up against other men. He knows swords and spears can hurt him. You know, like, wow, you're really getting into the head of that bear there. You weirdo. Um, and, you know, Brienne makes this great move where she changes directions, and Jamie's like, you know, oh, there's the wench I remember. And, you know, she's obviously in a good, you know, she's in a good position, and but then there's no blood, and then he realizes, like, they gave her a tourney sword. Um, and then we get to, like, I don't know about you guys, but if I smoked, this would be the part of the, the books that I would have a cigarette after. Um, uh, you know, the goat braid laughter, spraying him with wine and spittle. Of course. <laughs> I'll pay your bloody ransom. Gold, sapphires, whatever you want. Pull her out of there. You want her? Go get her. So he did. Just not a thought. <laughs> well, we also need to mention that Vargo Hote has a bandage over his ear. So he did try. She bit his ear off, right? Yeah. yeah, he says that. He calls, he says yeah. your she moose tried to or bit off my ear. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, he tried to rape her. Yeah, and she bit his ear off. Mm-mm. Which awesome brand. Um, and then they get to this, you know, this awesome little exchange in the in the pit itself. You know, where Brienne turns around and you know it's Kingslayer and you know Jamie. It's Jamie. <laughs> he has to correct her, and they have Man, a little fight at about this moment, who, Jamie. Yeah, I mean, they have a little fight about who stands in front of who. Um, you know, he's insisting that she get behind him. She doesn't really get it, but obviously, you know, she's like, no, you get behind me. I have the sword. And, you know, he's like, get behind me, knowing that, you know, he's he's a physical, because of Steelshank's crew, like, he's basically her human, her, you know, her human shield. Human shield, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he gets this thing where he... he grabs for something with his hands and it's a it's a um jawbone with some green like flesh on it still <laughs> so gross. yeah the maggots and he you know he he tries to throw it at the bear but of course it doesn't you know it totally is off off aim and stuff and he's you know they're you know they're trying Brienne's still trying to get around him, and he actually has to kick her legs out and straddle her. <clears throat> if we were wondering if there's any, you know, anything going on here, like yes, he literally is straddling her um, as the bear charges at them, and that's when we hear um, the cross, like the crossbowmen from Steelshanks, which is, you know, ironic. We first meet them, or one of their very first chapter, Jamie you know, bitching about how much she hates the crossbowmen and, you know, here they're saving, they're saving their asses and killing, and killing the bear. Um, Vargo gets like his, probably like one of his last good lines, which is, you threw, you threw my bear. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, would have been the best role to play. Um, You know, Steel Shanks is like, you know, we're taking the wench and Jamie. Her name is Brienne. Brienne, the maid of Tarth. You are still a maiden, I hope. Her broad, homely face turned red. Yes. Oh, good, Jamie said. I only rescue maidens. Um, ah, which another? 
Great line. And, you know, Rorg is kind of the only one with a brain in this operation at this point because he's like, you know, kill him <laughs> or you're going to, you know, you're going to wish you had like, which, yeah, I mean, if they weren't outnumbered, they absolutely should have, they should have killed him. Actually, knowing what happens to Vargo Holt, he probably should have just committed suicide by crossbow at this stage of his life and it would have had a much happier ending. But, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to shed a tear for our, for our dear goat. Um mm-hmm. So they get a half a league away, and they're out of the range of the crosswoman, actually in the walls of Hall. And Steel Shanks is, you know, pissed off. Like, what the, you know, like, what the fuck were you doing? And, um, you know, Jamie's like, well, I, obviously I hope that you would kill the, kill the bear before it killed me. Worked out well. You know, and then he gets this, you know, elsewise Lord Bolton would have peeled you like an orange, you know? Nice visual. <laughs> I know, but I mean, it's... it's 100% exactly what it was. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then, you know, and then we get our, our sec, our final great line here. Um, Sir Jamie, even in soiled pink satin and torn lace, Brienne looked more like a man in a gown than a proper woman. I am grateful, but you were well away. Why come back? And a dozen quips came to mind, each crueler than the one before. But Jamie only shrugged. I dreamed of you, he said. <laughs> God, can you imagine Brienne at that moment? She's probably like totally like swooning in her head right now. Well, I mean, no, I think she's probably confused. But oh. <laughs> I mean, imagine this day where she's basically gets raped by Kyburn. She's gets attempt. You know, Varga Holt attempts to rape her. She bites his ear off. They throw her in the bear pit with a tourney sword, and it's been going on for a while. And then all of a sudden, like, Jamie basically drops into the bear pit and puts himself between her and the bear. And then, you know, basically, like, you know, takes her away from from this and then, you know, tells her that he dreamed of her. Like, Jesus. It's one of the weird things is we never really get to hear Brienne think about this. But, I mean, like, imagine how hopeless she must have felt. Does she ever think about the bear pit? No. Like, I don't think she does. Mm -mm. No. And yeah, I, I mean, wish. Yeah, she, she thinks about to... the goddamn bathhouse, but she doesn't well, think about. Maybe she does a little bit when she's talking. She might to with the elder brother, the elder but I brother. think it's just a line. Yeah. What does she say? Jamie's feet hitting the sand yeah, in the bare. Yeah. 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 That's, that's what she said. But that's it. That's the only thing you get. I mean, it's. But imagine like how magical those feet must have seemed hitting the sand right. when I mean, you yeah. thought you when were. When there's no hope and. Yeah. You know, she's whole. You know, it would have. T- it takes a miracle. And I mean, again, like if we're going to go back to the the dream and you know all of our assumptions, I think that it's like a Blood Raven Express, <laughs> and you know the purpose of it seems to be to save Brienne. Like the, and yeah, you know, the purpose of it is that they are supposed to be wielding these twin swords against the others. So it, I think you know, so. It sure as I hell mean, seems I, like, yeah, they they uh, they have a purpose in the about, greater end. We've talked about Brienne's last chapter in Feast and the Russian yeah. version of it and how there are crows everywhere. Yeah. Um, it's a very different setup. Um, like, there's no Heil, there's no Pod. Um, but when they try to hang her, um, rather than her shouting sword, it's that this flock of crows shows up. And so it's very clear that Bloodraven is intervening, and it seems like it's almost more on behalf of Brienne than anyone. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it, it totally seems like it's on, on behalf of, of Brienne. And, I mean, then you think about what George wrote beyond, you know, beyond the series. Like, in the world of Ice and Fire, we find that, we find out that, you know, House Tarth has these Targaryen roots. It has, you know, we, we know she's a descendant of Dunk. Like, who the, you know, who the hell knows what her her ultimate endgame role. I mean, George basically wrote a book about her. Well, there, there's even, like, in a feast, it seems like she made, like, a blood sacrifice to a weirwood tree whenever she buries, yep. what, steak crab? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, she could, I mean, it seems like she could have an enormous part, you know, an enormous part to play in, in what's to come with, but there are serious Song of Ice and Fire theorists who, like, assume she's going to die immediately and wins. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, you idiots. Like, honestly, like, the closest thing to you've got that you've got to an actual god in Westeros is, like, intervening on Brienne's behalf. Right. And Those are the ones like, that are always complaining that her, her chapters are always boring, too. Yeah, and I don't get that. Well, okay. The the I'm gonna rescue the maiden of three and ten. I mean that does get a little repetitive. It's like three or four. We have times. said that. Yeah, no, but we we've we've gone there. We've talked about it. I don't know. I I am. The most I'll say is he could have condensed. She didn't need eight chapters, but honestly, nobody after Storm of Swords needed as many chapters as they got. I mean, the beauty of her and many of them needed none at all. It's like that. Yes. It's the slow Victorian. march to doom. That's like it's a horror story, you know. It's a slow motion horror story, and it's like well, I don't know. One less chapter, I feel like it almost lo- it loses something. Like every every less chapter in it, like I want that that march like that, you know. But that's you know that's me. But yeah, I, I don't I don't see another. You know, we've we've got we had some questions on the Reddit thread around like interpretations of the dream, and I mean I I can't disagree with with anything you've said, Chicky, I just, yeah, I feel like it's totally foreshadowing the battle. I'm very dogmatic about my interpretation of this dream. Sorry. I mean, I don't think it's particularly like up for that much debate. Like what else, you know, you'd be surprised, but yeah, I mean, obviously, but I feel like they're all wrong. (laughs) Obviously. Well, no, I mean, I just think that there's so much, there's so much invested in in other characters and so little invested in Brienne that I kind of dismiss things that dismiss her, um, if that makes sense. Same. Same. And this is how I feel about any, you know, predictions about what's going to happen with Jamie's character. If you post some huge thing about where you think Jamie's character is going and I can go and do control F for Brienne and there's like one return, yeah. I just, I just turn around and walk away. I mean, like, you don't know what you're talking about. That is literally what I also do is that, yeah, like, where is, where's Brienne in, in this story? Like, I'm not saying they're going to live happily ever after, but I'm saying oh, that they're no. going to, you know, like, she's a part, she's the huge Whatever part his of the destiny story is, yeah, tied she's to her in there. Vice versa. She's in it. Yeah. Yes, of course. I mean, maybe not her. If you do like buy into like the Targaryen thing, like she might have a greater destiny than him. But you know, oh, I'm not saying oh she's gonna outlive him. I mean, like I firmly believe Brienne survives everything. Brienne's yeah, Brienne's going all the way. 
Yeah, I mean, I think so, you know, I think so too. And, you know, Jamie, I would strongly suspect is not, but, you know, who, I mean, only George knows, right? But, yeah, I just think, you know, I, I, I don't know how else you interpret flaming magical swords that we know kill the others in a dream where they match up against um, people described as the others. Yeah, yeah. And like, what do you, you know, what could that mean? It um, can only mean that they're going to fight the others together. I mean, like, look, it's it's interesting. Like, Nikolai can even name that they have, or can even say that Jamie and Brienne had twin swords. Like, it was enough of a deal that even the show kind of halfway did it, even though they never really talked about it yeah. or anything. Clearly, it's going somewhere in the books. I mean, they're going to fight Right. Against the others together, right? With their stupid flaming twin swords. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, I yeah, I don't understand the denial of it, other than just again like, because people don't know how to interpret it, and so they just don't want to talk about it because they don't have any hard. clue about Jane or Brienne. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it's just people don't care because I mean, it's not like it's some like super cryptic dream. Like I get confused about you know his dream of Joanna. Like I'm not really quite sure what that's supposed to be about. But this one is like crystal clear and pretty obvious to me. I'm sure we'll get some stuff being like, how do you not understand the Joanne dream? Which I'll totally appreciate because I really don't. So we'll get to that one. Yeah. So help me out, yo. Um, so any other comments on this chapter before we go to some questions? It's a damn good chapter. Yeah, you know, I know a couple of you commented that Jamie 4 was your favorite. So, you know, where does this one rank? Oh, it's high. For Jamie? Just overall. Or, oh, overall? Overall? Well, this is probably my top ten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would go with that. You know, when we did our top 10 chapters a long time ago, I think this was my number one, but it's not anymore. Um, I really <laughs> like it. It's just, I find that I like, I don't know which one I like more than it now, but I don't think this is it. Although Jamie it's, Ford it's is great, my, but. Jamie it, Ford is my primo. I almost go to those last two, those last two Brienne chapters and Feast are just like, even like the last three Brienne chapters in Feast, I find like utterly devastating. But um, I, you know, I love them. But like that trio of of chapters just kills me. Um, yeah, they're painful. Yeah, as is most of Brienne's stuff. So yeah, comment. Do we have any questions? We do. Uh, I'm not going to read all of it because we basically covered a lot of this but yeah. gg this is from the subreddit gg68560 um it, this is basically had the same idea about the swords in the dream and the links to the starks and the others um and i think we basically concluded that the idea of like the riders going towards them the white walkers this is all in there but they also say uh, I want to say thank you so much for your amazing podcasts. Your insightful views and opinions have really helped have really helped me sort through the mess of season eight. I am loving the re re read. We got to figure out how many re are in there. Uh, 
It's me. Uh, this is them again. I think I have read the Jamie Brand chapter several times now, and with every read, I get more and more out of them. I'm now starting a reread of the entire book by each POV. Cersei is up next. Um, and then... Nine or- Orionis um, has a question about I think we actually went here too. Um, this passage, um, do they keep a bear down here? Brienne was moving slow and wary, sword to hand, step term and listen. A cave lion, dire wolves, some bear. Tell me, Jamie, what lives here? What lives in the darkness? Doom, no bear he knew, no lion, only doom. The foreshadowing here is obvious with the the bear that I feel it's like it's easy to overlook the other stuff. I read a theory ages ago, and I don't even remember what it is about anymore. This is the only bit that stuck with me that pointed out that Brienne asks about a bear, a lion, and dire wolves. And then Jamie answers no to all of them except the dire wolves. So what could this mean? Is Bran ultimately his enemy? We'll all see, while, will we all be seeing King Bran be his doom and orchestrate his death after Jamie fulfills his role in the Battle of the Dawn? Anyway, thanks for your amazing podcast and reading our questions. It's always fun to listen to your insight. I always assume that the lions and the dire wolves are there because that's kind of who she's dodging when she's kind of on her own quest is broken men who were one or the other. And then, you know, obviously the whole thing with Lady Stoneheart, which is dire wolves, Starks. Um, we also have something from Guilty Pleased, who writes, I know we have to take dreams and prophecies carefully, but I keep thinking that if Tywin already gone, okay, so this is, okay, Tywin already gone and Cersei die before Jamie, as they seem to be on the side of the dead in the dream. We talked about that. This diverges Jamie's book Jamie's fate from show Jamie's fate so radically, it makes the whole the show's whole born together, die together ending even more meaningless as it, this was its mm-hmm. main concept. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. I totally agree. I speak for everyone there. I know that. Um, yes. This is me thinking about death on a Thursday night. Sorry for the Russian doll reference, but Thursday, what a concept. I, I don't, I haven't watched that yet. So I don't know. Oh, you should. It's a very good I will. show. Uh, this is me fearing that George will go nuts and make Cersei, Jamie and Cersei die together um, by fake Aegon. I'm sure that he can make it more meaningful, but the gymnastics won't satisfy me because I think don't think that's the fate where Jamie's story is going. This can't be one of the hints he gave to D and D. This is me hoping that Jamie and Cersei are going to die separately. This is me founding the Church of the Holy Werewood Dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Um, great podcast, ladies and occasional gents. It's illegal here and I should be fined, but you make my bicycle rides to work so much fun. I, I think that means probably listening to the podcast. Probably having headphones While on. riding the bike. I don't think yeah. we've been outlawed anywhere. Um, maybe Never know. That's coming. I don't know. Um, goes on to say, I will be remembered in my city as the crazy lady who laughs stupidly on the bike lane while listening to your hilarious rants about the show and your smart insights about the books put it on my grave uh p.s sorry for my english 
proud Patreon. Keep fighting the good fight. Oh, thank you for patreoning. Oh, yes, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I've always been there. I've always thought he's going to outlive Cersei. I still think it. Yeah, I still I absolutely think it. I, I don't mean, think the show has are, any. I just don't even think it's going to be logistically possible for him to get to King's Landing to do Agreed. that. Agreed. I don't think George yeah. can even pull it off to get them back together in the books. I mean, I think I mean, he intended to, but I don't think he rock, can even do it. Then, I mean, I think that's the. Maybe then, maybe yeah. But because with our sword I mean, like, talk, he, we do think he has to get a hold of Widow's Whale. So, oh yeah. But I mean, you know, we've talked about this extensively when we talk about the differences between the show and the books. But Aegon very much exists in the books. Cersei is not going to be the last person holding the throne before Danny in the books. Like, there's no chance that that's happening. Right. So there were it's... big deviations in the show. And they made big changes because of it. Clearly, Jamie and Brienne faced the others together. And I will die on this hill that the others are the final battle in the books. It's not going to well, be. Well, yeah, because, I mean, in the dream, Cersei, Cersei's light goes out before they Bef- see the others. Yeah. And before Brienne, you know, she leaves before Brienne shows up. Mm-hmm. Um. Buck O'Hare asks, what is the best and worst interpretation of the Weirwood dream you've seen? How important is the symbolism of the bear and the maiden fair? Can you see the bath scene in your head without imagining Nick Costco Walmart's version? <laughs> yes, I can. So the <laughs> I mean, last one, yes, I, I still don't see him when I see the book scene now. Um, I see him. Yeah, I mean, I... It's not what the were the other Aaron questions? Hall, but it's him. Um, what is the best and worst interpretation of the Weirwood dream you've seen? Oh, everything from a Jamie Cersei shipper is the worst interpretation of the Weirwood scene I've ever. Where, where they think that it's all about Jamie and Cersei dying together, which I'm just like, how do you even fucking get that from this? I don't even know. She's the only light. I don't even know. I don't even. Know. Just like it's so clearly. Like literally, he separates from Cersei and he's left with Brienne. I don't, I don't know <laughs> how you interpret that as pro Jamie Cersei. That's just not, not what I see. I mean, uh, to me, the uh, worst interpretations are the ones that ignore it completely. You know, like same, yeah, those yeah. two. Yeah. Uh, Webory, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Uh, who also asked a couple questions we got to already? Um, wants to know what, which one is more romantic? I'll pay her bloody ransom, gold, sapphires, whatever you want. Put her out, pull her out of there. Um, or you want her, go get her. So he did. Versus so he I did. dreamed of you. So he did is the most so romantic thing in these goddamn books. Well, and it's like the most Jamie. Like I dreamed of you is almost like a wink. Like it's a sar- <laughs> it's almost a little sarcasm. Whereas it's a wink so from he George. did is you know yeah. That's Jamie. So he did is Jamie. All action when it comes um, to oh. Brienne. You've been discussing Jamie's traumas for a couple of episodes now. Would you be willing to discuss how he uses humor to hide his own PTSD? I know he's a fictional character and diagnosis is impossible because he's not a real person. I think you still can do that. That's me there. Um, but I think there's a chance to argue that the character may be suffering from some sort of participation. I think that's supposed to be post. I don't know, participation-induced traumatic stress or moral injury. And I, I don't know if that's an autocorrect thing going on there. I'm not that knowledge uh, knowledgeable. 
and I think it shows the most when dealing with rapists and rape. A particular phrase in this chapter has always stricken me. You are still made in, I hope. He makes a joke out of it, but at the beginning of the chapter, Kyber implants the seeds of worry. Uh, and then that disgusting quote um, of Kyburn, sorry. Um, and that stays with him. It stays even when he thinks, well, I should have expected that would happen. Uh, and he entertained, you know, like basically him thinking that she could kill Vargo. It's all very dark, but I think it stems from one of the darkest periods of Jamie's life, having to stand by while Aries hurt his wife. And it's so raw on him still that he makes a joke of it. Uh, when he says, good, I only rescue make maidens, and it breaks my heart. I don't know if maybe I'm reading too much into this. Well, I mean, I think, number one, Jamie obviously has PTSD from the shit that went on when Eris was alive. Um, number two, Jamie always uses humor as a defense mechanism. I mean, like, he's using humor when he's about to die, give up on life, <laughs> you yeah. know, like in Jamie 4. I mean, he just... He definitely falls back on humor. I mean, I think it's important. I was saying this to someone earlier today or yesterday, just like it's important to remember, though, when when George was writing this, like Google didn't exist. He probably didn't have great access to. um, Well, he touched on like a DOS machine. I mean, yeah, he probably didn't have access to um, looking up psychological conditions the same way that we do. I mean, like there were decent search engines then, but I mean, the amount of stuff that's available at your fingertips now, like in, in the late nineties just wasn't, <laughs> and it wasn't very well put together if it was out there. Um, you know, I think he kind of winged a lot of this stuff and I don't know that he looked up every psychological condition that he might be portraying. So I don't know how much was intentional, but I, I totally understand why people read into it. He did a good job for not having that at, at his fingertips. I'll say. Um, we heard from Shelby, who uh, is very good about writing us, and I'm going to truncate a little bit here. Um, when Brienne is talking about Jamie, about whether she has siblings or not, I always thought Brienne meant my father's last surviving son, because we find out that all her siblings died in her chapters, yet people seem to think she meant... My father's last son, which honestly doesn't feel in character to me. Bree thinks she's a freak, not worthy to be called someone's son or daughter. So I thought she was about to say she's his only surviving child. Thoughts? I think she was going to say son. Yeah, I think so too. Um, about Cersei getting Jamie in the Kingsguard... I had canon that Cersei went to Ares herself and got him to put Jamie in the King's Guard. Uh, I imagine Cersei looks a lot like Joanna, so that would hold influence over Ares, along with the fact that Ares was eager to do anything to put Tywin in his place. Some people think that Cersei might have fucked Ares to get him to enlist Jamie, but I don't think she would have had to do uh, that. Cons- I think she'd have remembered that for us if she did. Yeah, I, I think we would have. That would have been. Would have been a nice, like, thing to, I mean, would have been kind of an interesting thing to have happen. I don't think, I think that was one of those things that wasn't necessary. I think, you know, maybe she did go to him, but, you know. She might have gone to him directly. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think she fucked him. I mean, she's <laughs> really, I think I think she would have thought about it if she yeah. did. Um, 
It's for the fan question about when uh, George wanted us to see Jamie as a good guy. I mean, his first instinct is to save Bran instead of kill him. So I I would argue that George wanted us to know that there was more to his morality in that moment, even earlier than his stuff in A Clash of Kings and A Storm of Swords. I agree. He does save him first. And then lastly, um, I think this is referring to a discussion you guys had on one of the earlier episodes. Um, If Jamie were a woman, he wouldn't be Asha, in my opinion. He would be a very, very bitter and snarkier Sansa. Fandom doesn't talk about it, but Sansa and Jamie are the same character, pretty much. They're both people who believed in the songs, were defined by their romanticism, but were punished for it by the cruel world they live in. Uh, and as such are no dissolution because of it. The only difference is because they're different sexes, genders. Uh, Jamie is the dissolution knight and Sansa is the dissolution maid. Ironically, Sansa's disillusionment is tied to Jamie's. Her trauma and disillusionment comes from what happened to her family and Jeffrey's treatment, Joffrey's treatment of her. Joff only exists because Jamie became disillusioned, stopped caring about everything, and did nothing but get preg- Cersei pregnant over and over again. Uh, basically, that talking about how gender roles affect romanticism. Is so this how there's Jamie Sansa shippers out there? I mean, I, I do see this a little bit. Like, it's, I'm not talking about the relationship or a ship, but I am. I think they are very much, there are several characters in the series who kind of bought into the rules, who bought into this sort of notion of the romantic ideal and what knights were supposed to be and what, you know, how chivalry works. Mm -hmm. And I I think there are relationships between the two characters. I don't think it has to be shippy. I think it's just, you know. They just have such completely different personalities to me, though. I would never think to compare them. I think think it's that idea of a cynic is like a failed romantic. Yeah, I mean, I think they have similarities, but I still think that I agree with whoever said Asha. That's that's Jamie. Um, We got a message on Reddit from Nobody who says, Dear ladies and occasional gentlemen, thank you for the very lovely reread episode so far. Your analysis is brilliant as usual, and I can't wait for the forthcoming chapters. One of the reasons why I love Jamie and Brienne so much is that their adventures are like legends come to life, and that both Jamie and Brienne are aware of this on some level. When Jamie takes on the role of a shining knight rescuing a maiden in this chapter, though given the right equipment, she could have easily dismantled dispatch the monster herself he knows exactly what to say to her an ironic i only rescue maidens in feast dance we have the trope of a lady ahem giving a knight a favor and sending them on a quest even though brienne sees the parallels between the perfect knight story and her own so what fairy tale trope do you think we'll see them act out in the winds of winter well i mean is it beauty and the beast I mean, that would be my guess. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I've got what fairy tale tropes are left? I don't even. Probably many. I'm just too tired. <laughs> well, they right. might, you know, they might come to a cabin uh, with abandoned children, and I'm trying to like, I don't even, you know, I'm gonna be real. I don't actually know the story of Hansel and Gretel, like. Were they starving and they went to a cabin and then the old lady there was going to eat them? 
their father yeah. or their st- stepmother and mother, father. I don't know. Anyhow, I think their stepmother basically said, we don't have enough money for these kids. So the father yeah. leaves them in the woods and they're starving and they leave the trail of breadcrumbs and end up with the witch. And yeah, pretty much. So, I mean, I guess that could happen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. Uh, we have two Tumblr nons and then we're done with mail. Um, one says, hi, thanks for your lovely podcast. I fell asleep listening last night and ended up having a dream where my friend told me my relationship is, quote, like Jamie and Brienne, unquote. And I asked, wait, am I the Jamie or Brienne? I don't remember how she answered this in the dream, but my question for you all, would you consider yourself the Jamie or the Brienne in your relationships past or present? (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm the Jamie. Oh, God. Um, I'm, I'm... I'm the Brienne. I'm the muscle. I'm the Brienne in that I would just assume everyone's like joking about caring about me, but that I'm also the Jamie in that I would like push away with sarcasm. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I'm currently the Jamie. I have been the Brienne. Um, and then lastly, we have an Anon who I think is sounds like they're going through all of our previous apps. So a <laughs> uh, new Jamie Brienne fan here, but husband started quote going away inside unquote at their mention so i turned to your podcast and now i'm obsessed you all bring so much to the fandom in so many ways also i just finished all the role-playing game episodes which were freaking hilarious so many yeah i miss those um so many great moments but i lost it at episode 90 i don't remember which one that was about minute 30 32 um, oh my god, so funny. Watkins was awesome too. No ask, I guess, but thanks for everything. Was that maybe, didn't like, you guys were like trying to get someone drunk? Or Probably. Like, trying to seduce someone. And <laughs> All I remember is I am just so freaking bad at role playing games. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that is our mail. So if you would like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at Door Podcast, on Tumblr at Close the Door and Come Here, or you can find us on the Jamie Brienne subreddit on Reddit. Um, we have been doing uh, pre- like pre-show, uh, pre-show threads lately and getting a lot of really good input. Um, it's not people just asking us questions. There's actually people asking each other's questions each other questions back and forth. So there gets to be a pretty good discussion. So if you are doing the reread along with us, um, I would highly recommend checking, um, checking out those conversations going on there. It's really gotten a lot more active with the end of season eight and the destruction of our hopes and dreams. So um, spend a little time there. <laughs> you can, you can become a Patreon and support the podcast. And I believe we are, are we close the door and come here on Patreon? And you can listen to us. Sure. 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 <laughs> I'm sure you can find us on Patreon there. Um, no, I think we'll close the door. Close the door. Okay. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, um, all your favorite places that you listen to your favorite podcasts. And um, with that, ladies, I am closing the door. Get out. <laughs>